to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Dr. Jason Kindercheck joins us to talk about herd immunity and what we need to do to get there now that the vaccination rollout has started happening in Canada. Emily A. Francis is a trained body worker. She offers a refreshing perspective into healing trauma. And you know, parenting does not come with a manual. So how can you go from being a good parent to being a great parent? Linda Clement will show you how. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast begins now. A hateful white gunman was charged Wednesday with killing eight people at three Atlanta area spas on Tuesday, most of whom were women. Mothers, daughters, sisters, friends, aunts, cousins. Understandably, the killing sent terror through the Asian North American community, which increasingly has been targeted during this coronavirus pandemic. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the loved ones of those whose lives were snuffed out by hate, discrimination, and pure evil. There's no place for racism or sexism on the Sunday night health show. This is a show about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, sexual health educator, and host of this program. And I am joined behind the boards by none other than Andrew. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm here. Excellent. That's good. I'm here. I had noodles. Great. <laughs> I had noodles. There were not too many snap peas this time. Excellent. There were the right amount of snap peas. Excellent. Very good. I had tuna. I'm trying to have a little more fish. Well, good for you. I'm allergic Lightly. to fish, so oh. no matter what, I cannot have the healthy oh, things. It's a drag. Yeah. I can't have sushi. <laughs> I don't oh, no. know what it's like to have good sushi. <laughs> oh, no. I sushi mean, like, is my life. I'm not upset about it, I guess, because I have no frame of reference. Like, I've never right. known what it tastes like, so I don't True. know what I'm missing out on, and I can't know. So True. It's eh. not that amazing. I'll just, you know, I'll just continue <laughs> eating my, my pork chop. My favorite takeout. Hope you people out there in Radio Land are supporting restaurants in this pandemic and ordering healthy takeout get takeout don't don't necessarily rely on third party or services if you don't have to exactly just take out and just go pick it up that's my that's my plug for the night okay (laughs) excellent i'm going to actually give out a takeout gift certificate to somebody to support restaurants okay well that's good okay i don't know which one i should uh which restaurant i should choose i I have to think about that i'm gonna think about it because i want it to go to a, a community restaurant um so let me do a little research Anyway, if you would like to be a part of the show, feel free to give me a, give me a call. The number to call is one 399 That's one 399 is a free call. It is a free call across Canada. I can't talk too well this evening. You can also text me there as well or email me in confidence at nursetalk at hotmail.com. We have lots to talk about on the program tonight, and we cover a variety of health subjects. But keep in mind, the show is not a replacement for a visit virtually to your doctor. But tonight we're talking about healing yourself from the inside out and uh, making good parents great parents. Also going to talk about kindness, because I think it's very important that in this day and age that we focus on kindness and how that can not only benefit others, but it can benefit you as well. Of course, there's always a dose or two of sex talk. So put those kitties to bed, grab a cup of tea or wine, your lover, if you have one, because we've got lots to talk about. But right now, 
I don't have the audio ready. Just give me a second. Just give me a second. We'll we'll get there. We'll we'll get there together. Watch this. We'll get there together. It's teamwork. We'll get there. To, we'll get there together. Andrew, just, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. It. We're gonna we're you know, gonna get there together. See, watch this. Watch this. Or you can't watch it because it's the radio. But listen to this. And I listen. <laughs> and now Maureen's health headline. There you go. It's teamwork. And no sense in getting your cortisol levels elevated because that's just Very stress. Very bad. It leads to belly fat. <laughs> it does. It leads to belly fat. It leads to screaming at other people. Um, joining me on the line once again, you've heard his voice before. I'm, I'm afraid I'm wearing his voice out. Uh, he's assistant professor, Canada research chair at the University of Manitoba. He's a contributor at Forbes and he studies emerging viruses. And he is our COVID-19 expert. He is Dr. Jason Kindrachuk. Good evening, Dr. Kindrachuk. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? Uh, you know, the one thing I've realized in, in having a child, at, you know, with about two and a half years old, is the fact that they are kind of like a little petri dish in many ways. So <laughs> it's 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 been a rough five days. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. We're negative, but still still recovering. Oh well, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Really appreciate it. Your voice is very important. So if you need to take a little honey and lemon tea, go right ahead. If you need a little break. Um, but really appreciate uh, you being here. And if you have a question for Dr. Kindrachuk around anything about coronavirus, the number to call is one 399 9898 That's 1-877-399-9898. Now, Dr. Kindrachuk, maybe I'll do most of the talking tonight, give your voice a break. Um, but uh, we are vaccinating across this country. It feels like it's getting rolling a little bit faster because I'm a healthcare provider very patient facing. Um, I have had my first uh, vaccination done, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And, and, and I'm starting to know other professionals uh, in the healthcare field who have been vaccinated as well. So it makes me think about herd immunity. Um, so if you could describe for the listeners what herd immunity is and what is it going to take for us to get there? Yeah, you know, this is such a hot topic, right? So when we talk about herd immunity, we're, we're really talking about, uh, you know, and certainly in, in the immunity uh, that has been driven through vaccination. But what we're thinking about is basically that kind of that basal or that threshold level of uh, immunity that we need in a population to essentially stop the transmission of a particular virus. So th- we're not talking about having to have 100%. Uh, immunity. But what we're trying to do is basically build up enough immunity that if you do happen to have a virus or some sort of infectious disease that starts to transmit, that those people that can't get vaccinated uh, are still going to be protected from uh, from that pathogen because you have essentially that shielding around them. So all this is based primarily on, on transmission rates of different viruses. So it tends to shift based on what virus we're looking at. With COVID right now, you know, the, the kind of the, the level that I've seen most recently quoted has been, you know, gained 60 to 70 percent of people that we would need to be immune in a population through vaccination. But that, of course, may change depending on, on what the, the variants do and, and what other variants potentially emerge. And, and you said for those people who can't get vaccinated, do you also mean yeah. those people who won't get vaccinated? Because <laughs> <laughs> one word, one word, um, yes. because there are people who will not get vaccinated, I imagine, who, who could get vaccinated but choose not to. Yeah, no, that absolutely includes those as well. And I, I think I read somewhere in the U.S. one third of people um, 
mostly Republicans. No, <laughs> we're not. Even though Trump got vaccinated in secret, um, would would not take the vaccination. So that that's going to be an issue for people who are anti-vaxxers or who are anti-coronavirus or anti-maskers or don't believe in this um, virus. You know, it, it is. But at the same time, I look at the Canadian data. and Certainly we saw, you know, early on before the vaccination campaign started, that there was quite a bit of hesitancy. But to be fair, as vaccines uh, have kind of picked up in the population, we've actually seen a lot of people kind of changing their their tone on that. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has been about this idea of seeing people around them get vaccinated and, and feeling like there is that safety based on that. So I think I think the numbers will continue to change and continue to move upwards. Um, <laughs> I'm just reading a text and laughing. Um, I have another question for you, and this is no laughing matter, uh, but it reminds me of when people get um, vaccinated. Uh, they, you know, it's 94%, 95%. The Pfizer and Moderna, the AstraZeneca is less than that. Um, and so what about breakthrough? What about those people who have been vaccinated? Perhaps they've had two vaccinations. One in, you know, 28 days later, they've had their second one. You know, can they travel? Can they hang out? Uh, You know, all of a sudden it does seem like things are, especially with my American relatives, a few of them are down in Florida right now, about 12 (laughs) or 15. And, uh, you know, a number of them have been vaccinated. Um, but in one group grouping, um, they've gone to two different places, but in one grouping, somebody arrived with a cold, but they're saying, well, we've all been vaccinated. So, um, you know, it's fine. We're not concerned, but it's like, there is something called a breakthrough COVID case rare as it might be, but it could be COVID. Could it not? Uh, no, 100%, right? And we have to consider the fact that when we're looking at, obviously, millions upon millions of infections and subsequently millions upon millions of vaccinations, that those very, very tiny low-risk, uh, you know, c- concerns um, could actually, you know, kind of create some issues for us. We always have to be aware of, of that potential. Absolutely. And and even we, I must point out, and which you have pointed out in the past as well, is that the vaccines prevent 100% prevention of significant disease, burden of disease and hospitalizations and, and death, correct? Yes, yes. Unequivocally, that's that's what we're looking at as being the most important marker. And they've, they've all met that test very well. Okay. Um, you know, we're going to go to a break uh, now. And I do have a text message from somebody. So um, it's, it's around obesity and um, a, a question for you, Dr. Kinderchuk. So when we return, we're going to be talking about COVID and obesity. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, all things viruses, is our professor on the line. Uh, before we get to the obesity, Dr. Kinderchuk, we do have a question from Steve from Calgary. Good evening, Steve. Yeah, good evening. Uh, I'm 64. I already had COVID about uh, eight months ago. It was just a simple runny nose, a quick cough, and uh, about a week or so later, uh, there were no symptoms, and I'm okay. Does the good doctor think that I need the vaccine? Now, I've asked other doctors, three to be exact, and I just want to know whether his opinion conforms to the others or not. Dr. Kinderchuk? 
Yeah, you know, I think that even when we're looking at people that have uh, had validated uh, infections in the past, that we still want to see them get vaccinated. And mostly because we don't know what the long-term immune response looks like across different severities of disease. That may change in regards to whether it's one or two dose vaccines, but certainly the recommendations are still to get people vaccinated. Okay, Steve, did that conform with what the other doctors, the three other doctors said to you? No. It doesn't, huh? No. Interesting. Because I have underlying conditions, and uh, they all felt that getting the vaccine, no matter what vaccine, uh, may trigger certain uh, things uh, from the underlying conditions. And uh, since I already had uh, COVID, they feel, and uh, CDC, I discovered, uh, feels the same way, uh, that they that I don't need to get uh, the vaccine now for the variants or for something new, uh, they would recommend that uh, I would see them again. But I have underlying conditions. Well, you didn't tell us that part. But if you don't mind, would um, could I ask you what the underlying conditions are? Because I know even people with underlying conditions um, should be getting the vaccine. Uh, yeah, I would rather not uh, specify. No but... problem. No problem. Steve, thanks for the call. Really appreciate your listening. Uh, Dr. Kinderchuk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, it's it's tough to know people's full his- medical history. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think you're correct. I mean, looking at, you know, again, everything that we've seen from Health Canada and CDC, I mean, the majority of, of information that, that, that's come across has been people with underlying uh, comorbidities are actually the ones that are, you know, recommended to get vaccine in, in the front line or in the first phases. So, exactly. you know, I think it, again, it depends what the condition is. We don't know. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I, I'm surprised at that. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm a neurologist, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm shocked, but that's okay. Hey, um, you know, to each his own. And, um, and you know, different doctors, you know, they give different advice. And also sometimes patients hear uh, things differently to what uh, healthcare practitioners and, and especially physicians have said. In fact, we did a research study on that one time I was involved in that. What did the doctors say? They had witnesses. What did the parents of the sick child hear? And it was, you know, night and day. Yeah. Um, so that can occur as well. But speaking of comorbidities, I do want to address this text message. Um, hi, Maureen. I hope you're having a great day. I love listening to your show. Thank you so much. You're a lot of fun. When are you going to be a guest on the shift with Shane Hewitt? Well, I have actually been a guest with Shane um, on the shift with Shane Hewitt. He's a great guy and we do have a lot of fun. Um, but I do want to say, um, he says, he goes on to say, I think you have, you'd have a lot of fun on the shift. You know what? I feel like we, I used to be a blast before this pandemic. I just feel like I'm so boring now and we're all so boring. Nothing's new. Anyway, for the good doctor, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about obesity and why people who are obese are at higher risk for COVID. Dr. Kinderchuk? Yeah, you know, I think it comes back to this idea of the additional underlying complications that come along with with high BMI, right? So we're we're still trying to fully understand what this looks like. If there are very specific signatures within people uh, that that fill you know fit into that that obese uh, category, whether or not there's something you know, that that is actually promoting more severe disease. But certainly, we tend to see uh, you know additional secondary complications due to uh, to obesity that uh, that may also increase the severity of disease. So I think it's it's multifactorial and the unfortunate reality is 
We're still trying to figure out why. We have the data to suggest that there is causation between the two, but the direct reasoning or or the mechanisms underneath it are are still pretty complex. You know, and uh, hospitalized COVID-19 patients with obesity are significantly more likely to require ICU care as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, uh, you know, of that, typically if it's abdominal weight, it's much more difficult uh, to treat patients who are obese. uh, So that also presents another whole set of challenges. Tony from Burnaby, British Columbia is on the line. Good evening, Tony. Hello. That was quick. Fabulous. Hello, Mo. How are (laughs) you? Big fan. Thanks. I have one out there. Um, Yeah, as as an addictions healthcare worker, I've been offered, you know, I I can get, you know, the the death or the, you know, vaccine. But I'm like, you know, I'm 50 years of age. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm torn. Torn between. I think there's people that are more deserving than me. Well, I think that's very gracious of you and very kind. But you know what? We just need to vaccinate as many people as possible. I'm not actually sure you could give it to somebody else. I don't know, Doctor Kinderchuk. Do you want to weigh in no, on we, that? We we've had this discussion in my household a number of times because we you know help certainly frontline researchers at least in our province, have, have not been offered the vaccine yet. And, and I've had the discussions with my family on what I would do. I, from a moral standpoint, I would much rather somebody that's in a higher risk category mm-hmm. get my vaccine before I did, because I, I'm concerned about those, those high risk groups. But at the same time, I can't directly give that vaccine to somebody and, and, and be assured that that's going to go to somebody else that's in that high risk group. And ultimately, we all need to get vaccinated to suppress transmission. So if we have that option to get vaccinated, that's the most important factor. We just want to see people uh, get get that uh, that reduced uh, transmission uh, in our communities as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Dr. Kindertruck, thank you so much for being on the program and for shedding your wisdom across the airwaves across this country. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. You know we can be physically ill, emotionally ill, spiritually ill, mentally ill. We can have experienced trauma as children or trauma just in terms of life. Um, You know, life is not that easy. I said to a patient the other day, um, life is to be enjoyed, not endured. And she said, you need to make up some t-shirts with that on because I think a lot of people are enduring life, not enjoying life. And so there's things that get in our way when we um, endure life or when we give our power over to somebody else. Um, And so I'm delighted to have my next guest on the line. She is the author of Healing Ourselves Whole. She is Emily A. Francis and joins us from Malta. Good evening, Emily. Hello. Thank you, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's I'm a, not too loud, am I? No, you're perfect. Perfect. Okay, great. You'd think you were great. in the next room for crying out loud. You sound amazing. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I <laughs> yes. love technology. I love I have a love-hate relationship with technology, okay? Yes, <laughs> when it I works, am, oh, I do. When it works, <laughs> when it's it works, amazing. It's fabulous. When it doesn't, yes. 
It's a problem. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it, you, know, you know you're getting bad when people say to you, do you know how to do such and such? And I say to them, Google it. <laughs> Guess exactly. where I learned that from. Anyway, uh, so this is a fantastic book that you have. I think a lot Thank of people you. are... Um, suffering these days and they have uh, challenges in their emotional house, as you say in the book, uh, from top to bottom. And, you know, people are struggling in life and, you know, not, notwithstanding the pandemic, they were struggling beforehand. There are, there are so many mean people in the world. Let's just start there. <laughs> That's like the that, biggest su- know, surprise is, to me. It's surprising, isn't it? Shocking. It yes. surprising. There, it's, it's saddening. And, and when people say mean things, uh, you take it in. Even though you try not to, yeah. you take it in and then it becomes part of your audio reel. And it, it takes a, a maturity to, to realize that it has nothing to do with you and to not let it track. But that takes a lot of awareness and, and self-appreciation to go, you know what? That has nothing to do with me. That, I'm not going to take it. I'm that, not going to claim it. That is so true. But, you know, what happens is somebody can say something mean about you or you hear that they have said something mean about you and you start ruminating and you start doubting yourself and you think of all those things. You know, none of us are perfect. And we think of all those little things that, you know, maybe I did this and wrong and maybe I did that wrong and maybe they think this. And then you start not trusting people because you think, well, they actually said I did a great job or they actually said they loved me or they said this and then I did this and that. And you think, who do I trust? And it can just go to hell in a handbasket fairly quickly. And then maybe you release it to somebody that you actually trust and you begin to start to feel better. Um, That's true. But tell me how, I mean, and this is just one incident, but people have incidents that they have experienced in childhood or, or trauma, um, you know, maybe as an adolescent or, or sexual abuse or witnessing, um, you know, horrific events. How is it that people can heal from this? Well, first of all, how does it affect people going through life? Okay, so let's start with the really basic that I think gets uh, overlooked entirely too often. Let's say that somebody is a uh, trauma survivor, okay? So when, it, when you go through any sort of impact, so when you go through something that creates a negative uh, association, that's a trauma. So let's do it really basic and say car accident. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your body is subjected to a, a trauma, but the memories become very, very hazy. That's the gift of the mind. It ejects itself from the body so that you can survive the trauma. However, the body doesn't have an eject button. So all of the truths and the facts as they happen go into the body. They go into the body from the point of impact, wherever that impact is. And that's the closest place that it stays. So muscle memory isn't just about movements. It's that inside your muscles holds those different memories. That's why you can do a repeat trauma and then your body knows what, that your mind knows what to do. But it only takes one time into the body and your body will have a flinch response or a big response to one similar stimulus. It only takes one. So it's interesting because on the positive side, it takes a lot longer to rest into the bed of the muscles. But on a trauma situation, it only takes the one time. So you have to think about that the, the body is holding secret treasures of facts. And the way that our minds do it, because we can eject, they're subject to interpretation. And our minds become really animated. And we can take on other people's stories and create it all as one giant story for us. So you go to cognitive therapy, your psychologist, your psychotherapist, your psychiatrist, if you need medication to get that work. 
But the part that's been overlooked and the part that I play as a body worker is that your body holds all this information and we don't really know how to access it because it's not taught to us anywhere. We're not, we, don't, we don't learn it in school. And so when I put my hands on somebody's body, the body is like, me, me, I have something to tell you, please, please. And it kind of directs and guides where my hands go. And then what happens is people tend to find their truth that they didn't realize they were holding. And those are a lot of the strings that tie to chronic pain, dis-ease, uh, health issues. Um, you know, you can go light to, to heavier. The body is going to signal and the body is going to tell you that it's out of, it's, that it's out of whack. But it's, it takes some real doing for us to stop and learn how to listen. I call it dialoguing with your body so that you can listen and respond to help your body heal those deep-seated traumas because a trauma that goes inside the body stays at the exact time that it came inside the body, meaning that if something happened to you in 1972, it's still in 1972. So the voice that you have associated with it, you're still whatever age you were in 1972. It doesn't mature with age because it's frozen in time. Does that and, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so you can see why, whether it's a physical trauma or an emotional trauma, um, that that would stay with you as well. And that often stays with people for decades. For Until you learn how to get in there and get it moving. And there are some cognitive therapies. Uh, my, my top choice is EMDR, which is an eye movement desensitization reprocessing mm-hmm. because it takes it out of the frozen track. Um, hypnotherapy helps with patterns and how you handle them and, and move forward into it. But my work is, uh, well, the Healing Ourselves Whole Book teaches you how to dialogue yourself so that you can do some of that deep dive work alone and listen to what your body has to say without spending all this money and doing years of therapy, instead getting into that body and saying, all right, uh, what we call a trauma capsule in the mind. So a cognitive therapy would call it disassociation or a disassociation capsule or a trauma capsule. And that means that something was so overwhelming to you that you basically shove it into a little capsule and then drop it into the body and leave it alone. My work is to pick that capsule up from the body and teach you how. Now, very interesting. Now, I happen to watch, I've been watching a lot of movies lately, but last night I watched The Glass Castle. Uh, you know, do you know that story about um, the children who were raised um, by what appears to be a bipolar father who was an alcoholic as well and a very eccentric mother? And so they were lived in poverty and there was abuse and there was, um, you know, lots of trauma um, for those children moving like 21 times in a year. And and when she grew up and became a, a journalist for the for the Wall Street Journal or a gossip columnist, actually, for the Wall Street Journal, she um or um, she was hiding this, her true self. She was keeping this secret and, you know, Mm. and she wasn't happy and she couldn't be happy. And it wasn't until she released this, this secret and this shame when she actually said, you know, when people would ask about who her parents were, she would make up a lie. And then when she finally told, you know, that her parents were living, you know, were squatters in the downtown East side, I mean, not, I mean, in New York, um, on the lower East side of New York city, um, she was free, you know, and she could finally be herself. Is this the same kind of thing um, that people release? It is the same kind. It's it's, exactly. It's that 
the, the trauma that goes inside your body and your mind, hopefully they're connected still, because sometimes they're not, mm-hmm. but the trauma that's sitting deeply in your body, whatever you saw, this is what I talk about too, it seeps in through the senses. Any sort of situation, you're seeing it, you're tasting it, you're smelling it, you're touching it, it comes into all the senses, but then it dives and claws itself into the soft tissues of the body, or I call them your memory systems, because there's different tracks. Uh, and those things fester. And they grow poison. I mean, think about like rooted, I call them carrots, they plant into you. And then imagine that the roots just keep growing and they're choking out whatever area of the body. If you were uh, a person that was touched inappropriately, then that area, I mean, there's a lot of links between uh, sexual health and emotional health. So there's a lot of links if somebody's diagnosed with a cancer in those areas, then one of the first places and things you have to look at is, are you a survivor? Did you experience some sort of um, horrific situation to that area of your body? So we're holding those secrets. And when you hold those secrets, it's really hard to come out with that. I mean, I suffered for years with anxiety and panic and people couldn't understand how? But I'd lost my dad so young and I was so traumatized that I wasn't really allowed to talk about it. And so it just festered for years. Mm-hmm. And I did, I would lie about where he was. I didn't want people to know, but it, not that anything, it just, it was nice to not be the kid that lost their dad so young when I finally went away to college and nobody associated me with that. I didn't want them to know that was me, that dad died on the tennis courts. You know, I just didn't want people to, to have that association. And then I became disassociated with it because I could believe my own lies. Right, right. Until I came forward. And then, it, you know, when you do finally come forward, though, it's like all the bands that have locked down start to release. They all get cut and you get a whole new new lease on life, really. But it's also it, you have to deal with a lot of a lot of shame and guilt and grief. There's a lot of emotions that are circling and your body holds them. And it, 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 it's interesting, but I've been doing hands on body work for almost 20 years. And what I have found is that the different grief, guilt, shame, trauma all feel differently in the tissues. And some make the tissues cry. Some harden the tissues. Some totally disassociate and start a whole new life in the tissues. And and it's interesting because the body really is so communicative, but we just don't understand it. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you to hang on the line. We're going to go to break. It's it's such fascinating work. And I and I have a question for you when I come back about um, you know if somebody processes it processes the trauma at the time of the trauma or shortly thereafter. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. My guest is Emily Francis. She is a trained body worker and she will teach you how to live from a new mindful way of being, offering a refreshing perspective into healing trauma. If you have a question, the number to call is one 399 9898 And I have Harry on the line from Edmonton. I want to say, Emily, thanks for staying on the line. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Harry? Good evening. Hey, good, e- good evening, uh, Maureen and, and Emily. Um, Emily, you hit it right on the nail on the head with uh, deflection in terms of, uh, I think I've been using that process where where something has occurred to me and I would substitute it for as a friend or somebody that I knew that this had occurred in my life. And um, <clears throat> I think the more... I talk about it, the better it becomes because it occurred just before um, COVID occurred, mm-hmm. happened, and uh, uh, it really devastated me. And the only way that I 
basically survived through this somewhat was that I was able to go to work every day and be busy. So it did help. And what I'm talking about is a marriage breakdown. And the marriage breakdown mm-hmm. occurred where uh, we were married for about six years and she happened to uh, get into a relationship. And um, we, uh, she said every province has different laws. And in the province of Alberta, a spouse is entitled to 50% of the property. And oh, she wow. remained in, in the property through until 2020 of October the 30th. And then she finally left uh, and went with her significant other. And on April Fool's of 2020, she got engaged while still oh. being married to me and not being divorced yet. Oh. So, uh, uh, yeah. Harry, uh, you mentioned working. Um, and that, yes. that that helped you, and that's kind of a distraction technique. Emily, is yeah. Harry better to uh, process this and maybe do some trauma work? Absolutely. I, I, it's great that you can work because you do need that getaway. But yes. divorce is unbelievably horrific, and I don't think it's given enough um, there's even like a DSM-5 says that it doesn't consider a, a divorce a trauma, and I actually disagree with it in my book and say that. I say, for the record, I completely disagree. I think divorce is one of the most painstaking, horrific situations, and what happens, too, and what you're talking about is the shame and the guilt and the grief that you feel is spreading mm-hmm. all over your body. The reason you want to get up and work is so you can get away, so you can run exactly. away because you're, it's feeling so heavy and so tight. Uh, are you experiencing any new pains in any particular area in your body? I am uh, probably in terms of, well, I do have some arthritis and stuff like, like you know, because I'm always working with my hands. And so, uh, yeah, I'd say that uh, and basically in my lower back, I would, I would say, because uh, probably about five years ago, I fell off a roof and, Luckily, nothing was broken. I, uh, they said that uh, I was a rubber ball and uh, just decompressed uh, vertebrae. But it uh, took a lot of... Listen, Harry, uh, um, I just want to get on to the next callers. Thank you so much for your call. We have Sean from Cloverdale, and we have a couple of other people on the line. Um, hello, Sean. Hi, Mary. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, I was a burn victim uh, not too long ago, actually, within the last 10 years. Oh. And, uh, a third-degree burn, and... The kidneys were bad enough that kept me in loose coma for for first nine days. Wow! And they scraped me twice a day for a month and a half. I was in rural Columbia, but you know, um, my subconscious had blocked the pain and agony I went through, and doesn't want to let me remember it. And um, so, is that the, the, my mind is protecting me? I take my answer over yes. the over the air. Absolutely, yes, yes. That is your mind protecting you. That is the gift of the mind. Take that gift, and when then when you're ready later, work with a therapist and work through that because those body memories will come to surface. That is fascinating. I have Don from Edmonton on the line. Good evening, Don. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for having such a great guest on tonight. Thank you. Um, I worked in the past with uh, practitioners that were working on cellular memory. They were approaching it from a slightly different angle, but I'm totally shocked. Like when people have an injury, how the cellular memory is is actually 
stuck in the body. And when you actually release it, they'll actually flash back to the time that the injury occurred. Um, and I've also seen when people ignore, it doesn't matter if it's sexual trauma or accident or whatever, they ignore it throughout their life. It actually comes back uh, usually like late 30s, early 40s. And uh, then they usually go to substance abuse if they don't deal with the traumas that, uh, that have occurred earlier in life for whatever the reason they are. Great point. That's Emily, exactly what do you right. think? That's self, they self-medicate. Of course they self-medicate. What, I mean, if, if you're not taught positive, healthy ways to get in touch with those emotions and what your body is holding, and you don't even know what the body's holding or where, then of course you're going to go to self-medication because you don't have the access. There's no, there's no exit point. It, you know, and uh, traumas are, I would imagine, they're different for different people, but there are there a lot of people walking around unhealed who are, okay. because they have these secrets and this shame and they don't know how to heal themselves, that they are actually treating other people poorly as a result? Uh, you know that old adage, hurt people hurt people? Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's, it, of course they are. They're making everybody else pay for the mistakes because they don't know how to handle it. Right. I have a text here. Um, went through the same thing. Mine was worse as my son was the one who found out. Very messy. Took everything. Left me with my son alone. Thanks for that message, David, from Kelowna. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do think there's a lot of people, um, you know, I posted something on LinkedIn about the glass castle and, and just about, you know, releasing your secrets and your shame. And, and, and somebody who does anger management said, you know, a lot of people are walking around with these secrets and this shame, and they are often the angry, controlling, perfectionistic type. And I thought, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to control everything. Let me interject for a second. We have about uh, 20 seconds left. Work- Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the lower back is about, it goes out when you have fear of moving forward or financial security. Being stabbed in the back is behind that chest. It's in the rhomboids behind the shoulder blade. And those are really important areas to make sure that you get treated because your body is signaling that Emily, you're holding tight. Emily, got to have you back. Yep. Fascinating. Healing ourselves whole with Emily A. Francis. I think she's going to come back next week. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. We've got lots to talk about in this hour as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about, we were just talking about trauma. And now we're going to go back to the potentially the origins of trauma. We're going to be talking very shortly about parenting. Also going to be talking about, uh, is it perimenopause? Is it uh, from cancer? Is it from surgery? Or is it from all three? And going to focus a little bit on kindness and defamation and what that actually means. But joining me on the line right now is uh, a guest that I'm delighted to have because parenting, as you've heard, does not come with a manual. None of us know how to do it all that well, unless we've had good parents and uh, and we learned uh, from our own mothers and fathers and or mothers and mothers and or fathers and fathers, whatever. Um, or if you had a good parental influence, like a grandmother who potentially raised you. Well, joining me on the line is Linda Clement. She is a parenting expert, and she is the owner at RaisingParents.net. Good evening, Linda. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Well, totally my pleasure. Yeah, so listen, parenting is, as they say, the most difficult job, um, and it's the most important job. 
Yet, the hardest job you'll ever love. That's exactly right. And, you know, and some, sometimes it can be boring and sometimes it can be more than exciting, way more than you want it to be. <laughs> um, uh, let's, am I talking about teenage boys? No. Um, no. Teenage girls, too. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, know that deal, too. Um, but you help good parents become great parents before they become grandparents, which is, which is critical. Um, and, you you know, I don't know if you were listening, but we had a trauma expert on um, just before your segment. And, you know, when when we're not good parents or when, when people are irresponsible or haven't healed their own trauma, perhaps um, they can actually, that can impact. That's one thing that can impact parenting. What are some of the other things that you see um, that, that people come to you? I know you do online visits around the globe. Um, what are some of the issues or the most common issues that you see? And, and, and what, what about this pandemic? How's that affecting parenting these days? Um, uh, the whole ride, really. It's the whole thing. You know, it, and for a lot of people, their kids are coming into their teens. The school's all messed up. Everything is really different. They're spending all time online when everybody says don't spend your day on screens. And everybody's kind of dealing with this it was going to be two weeks and then it was going to be a a month and then it was going to be six weeks and then it was going to be three months and then it was going to be over by summer. And then it's going to be, so this constant change thing is probably the thing that I think parents struggle the most with their kids change all the time. And now we have COVID changing all the time and we have COVID changing everything while the kids are changing. (sighs) Dealing with change is hard for people just in general. We, we like change. We like novelty but we like it when it's on our schedule and we are prepared for it and we chose it and we're in the right mental space for it. We have all the support we need for it. Yeah. That's kind of not been happening for a lot of people right now. It it certainly hasn't been. Um, And, you know, just becoming a parent is change. It's change to identity. It's change to your life. It's change to your lifestyle. It's change to your financial situation. It, it's well, change. And it's a change to that negotiation. It's like, I'm never going to have my baby in my bed and I'm going to get up off the delivery table and slap back my power suit on and go back to work. And babies have a way of changing the inside of their parents' heads. Uh, so everything they agreed to beforehand, they're suddenly in this double bind going, well, my baby needs this. And I see that and I said I would do this and I don't know how to renegotiate that. And then you come up with the, well, the baby's in the bed and nobody's ever going to get any ever again. Absolutely. Yeah. The the best parents are the ones who've never had children, um, who've never had, have never had a screaming two-year-old in the, in the supermarket. Um. Uh, I I don't know any parents. Well, I probably do. I haven't done a complete survey, but. Everybody says, I'm not going to have that snotty-faced kid that's covered in dirt. Right. And the answer is, how many times are you actually going to chase it, an 18-month-old around with a cloth they don't want on their face? That like, is true. really, how many times that is in the true. next, say, hour and a half it, is going to last a week? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and it can just be so brutal. And it can it's really a test of you know your self-esteem. I remember one of my kids had eczema, and it came down like below his eyes. And so he was about nine months old sitting in the, 
in the buggy in the in the supermarket and you know he looked like he'd been crying and people would come up to me all the time and they would be like oh poor thing he's crying and like the only one that was crying was me because <laughs> yeah. yeah. i had well, no and, and you can hear it all the time no matter how they say it it's like oh you're such an incompetent mom a- absolutely yes <laughs> what a failure you are and i would just start crying when they would say it. Oh. <laughs> be like he's not crying i'm crying and then you know i had no control over it there was nothing that they could actually do and it was actually driving me crazy and i remember i was at a dinner party um with the baby and and my husband and the dermatologist called because of course i'd probably harassed him all day long and it was like 6 30 and he said he would come and he would see us and you know he would see the baby because it was just getting worse and worse and then he said and and he left a message and he said tell her to bring her husband <laughs> and i'm sure i am sure that um he just wanted to meet the husband of this crazy lady <laughs> like do you, you actually have a say, husband could you give her a quaalude or something like yeah, seriously calm this woman down and there'll be a psychiatrist here for your wife um <laughs> So, and and the dinner get like the people whose house we were at, they were just howling. <laughs> I guess Is I had anybody with kids their phone yeah. number. Yeah, so we're all you know amazing parents when we don't have kids. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And then I the had judgment, six and then I had six kids. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing is the judgment of other mothers. What about that? Well, the whole mommy shaming thing it's it's partly because we take the role like it's not a job that we do. We don't like get this job and then do this job until we get a promotion or move somewhere else or something. This becomes who we think of ourselves as. Mm -hmm. So anything that's like, hey, your kid's kind of a brat is like, hey, you're kind of an incompetent parent. And I think frequently much more often women than men. But any criticism of the methodology or how you approach anything is you're not the right kind of person to be allowed to take care of children. Right. And, and it's really funny because there's really no exam apart from the practical. You just like get handed the baby and you finish giving birth. And they're like, you're good. See you later. Yeah, there you go. Which is, you know, not fair at all. No, uh, no. On, on anybody. Because <laughs> as a friend of mine says, the thing that surprised her the most after she had her baby is that the hospital was going to let her take her home. It's like, I'm incompetent. What's wrong with you people? Don't you know anything? Why would you let me take the baby? You're crazy. Oh, I I felt fully confident. I mean, I was a pediatric nurse and I, um, you know, just thought, I I know this stuff. This is no problem. But, you know, ended up getting mastitis 10 times. And, um, you know, your baby just didn't comply with the how they're supposed to be thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I baby didn't read the manual. No, no. And was failure to thrive. Here's the nurse with the failure to thrive baby, you know, and and the breastfeeding shaming. And, you know, like it's it's terrible. And yet I, I actually believe I have fairly decent self-esteem <laughs> and I knew I wasn't this wasn't my fault and I loved being a mother and you know so it was none of that but but it can really uh mess people up for sure and and just going back to that shaming of course I have a million stories but um one <laughs> is that because I have so many children but anyway um one is <laughs> I remember a mother that now you know a mother, yeah, in the neighborhood, she was like, you know what your son is like, right? And of course, I knew exactly what my son was like, but I was not going to give in to her. And I'm like, no, no, tell me. What is it? You, you tell me. And of course, like, then she didn't yeah, want to tell me. Yeah, to my face. I really need to hear it. Yeah, because she was, she was going to think that I wasn't going to stick up for my, for my child. Anyway, that's just another story. But then another one comes to mind is that um, I remember being at another dinner party. You know, before the pandemic, we used to go to a lot of dinner parties. Back in the old days when and we actually had social the, life. Yes, the police called another set of parents, or the the wife, the ex-wife, the and the police called, and and she said, it's not my night, it's my husband's night, I've been drinking. 
I can't come and get my daughter. And the police said, we've already called your ex-husband and he's also drunk. So... <laughs> <laughs> These are the stories that I love telling other people because I have no idea who they attach to. Right, and then, exactly. And they're like, oh, I'm such a failure as a parent. I'm like, no, 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 hang no. on. Wait to hear one, this one. This one lovely client of mine who's like super understanding and really good with her kids just had a little bit of a meltdown one day because they had their toys all over the living room carpet and it was a rental. So, you know, toys on the carpet often, I don't know, melt through the floor or something. I don't know what she was reacting to. Mm-hmm. But she had a fit because her kids were you know, not cleaning up their nine pieces of Lego or something off the carpet and her damage deposit was going to go into the air or something. She picked up a three-legged stool and threw it over her shoulder and it went through a 150-gallon um, fish tank. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so that's huge damage. So, not getting your damage deposit back. Absolutely. Yeah, she did not feel really good about her life at that moment, but the fact is, even in that moment, she wasn't a failing parent. Right. She was just struggling. She was having a hard time. She didn't know how to calm herself down. She was clearly getting wrapped up in stuff that doesn't matter and, you know, didn't have the skills to pull herself back out of it and probably traumatized her children a little bit. Exactly. Now, you talk about raising parents, and that's why I brought up that little dinner party situation where the police were calling the, the um, divorced couple, <laughs> the divorced <laughs> parents. So that would be an example of, you know, maybe they hadn't exactly grown up. Um, yeah. Why do you talk about raising parents? as opposed well, to raising children. I, I, I actually just finished writing a course, and it's going to be available soon. Um, my beta testers have just gone through it, and I need to do some tweaking. But the last chapter of it, the, the eighth week of it, is called It Takes a Village to Raise a Parent. And the fact is we're not surrounded by people most of the time who have a great deal of knowledge about parenting, like for real, um, a great deal of knowledge about child development or how brain changes change what children can do which means there's things they can't do until they get that brain part okay i'm just going to stop you there because we're going to go to break and we're going to continue what it is that these parents actually need to be raised Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here with Linda Clement. She is the CEO, Executive Director at RaisingParents.net. She helps good parents become great parents. Linda, thanks so much for staying on the line with me. Thank you. Now, you are a parental coach. You provide parental instruction, and you also help to raise parents. So we were talking a little bit about that. Yeah, the the idea is based on, I, I've never met a parent who doesn't love their kids and who doesn't want the very best for them, but quite often there's a big gap between their skills and their aspirations, and I would like to get their skills closer to their aspirations. And, and what are some of the skills that parents need to be raised to become great parents? Uh, we aren't great at knowing what kinds of things kids go through as they develop and to understand what the limitations are on, say, a three-year-old's brain. When people think, oh, my three-year-old can't keep doing that because if they're doing that when they're 30, well, yeah, when they're 30, they'll have a 30-year-old brain. They have a three-year-old brain. There's some major brain development in between three and 30, so this is not an indication of things to come. This is a three-year-old being a three-year-old. So you don't have to... There's there's kind of um, proverbs in the world, like, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. And you can have a kid do exactly the same thing at exactly the same time every day from two to six. And as soon as that major brain uh, brain development happens at between six and eight, Mm -hmm. all of that habit is gone because their brain is completely rewiring itself. 
A hundred percent. Now, I, I do remember one of my sons didn't want to wear underwear and then his pants would fall down because he was so skinny. And then, so that mm-hmm. was found out. Yeah. And then, well, you're just lucky he wasn't one of the ones that was hanging on to it all the time in case it fell off. Because <laughs> no. that's a real thing, too. Those, those no. children are very worried about that. Yeah, but I remember, <laughs> I, I remember thinking, he's not going to go to university with no underwear, you know? Like, that's yeah. it. Chill. You know, that yeah. that's just, and I say that often uh, times to people. You know, they're, you know, somebody was telling me about they wanted their two and a half year old to come off of the bottle and um or the i the pacifier the bottle i can't remember which one it was and i'm like you know they're not going to go to school with a bottle in their mouths you know let them let them chill let them have it that's fine um and and i i'm I'm from vancouver area like i grew up in victoria i'm in vancouver now i don't see a lot of adults walking around without bottles in their hands anymore so you know it's obviously not a big deal nor do i just because mine had it till he was four but other than that um you talk about lazy parenting what is lazy parenting I think there's quite a lot of unnecessary reaction that happens for parents. They they think they need to do something about everything they see instead of letting their kids grow out of whatever it is they're doing right now and into their maturity. So they keep trying to fix things that are actually phases or just immaturity when the kid will naturally grow out of that. So the more you can sort of lean back and watch and wait and think about what's happening instead of reacting right away, especially out of that, oh, no, they can't do that when they're 30 kind of thing, mm-hmm. the easier your life will be as a parent. I think there's there's a kind of benign neglect that works really well for parents, especially parents who are a little bit inclined to be anxious. The less you can sort of spread your anxiety to your kids, the, the easier they'll find they're growing up. And the more you'll learn that as you step back a bit and and wait and see you know um crush from finding nemo you know chill dude wait see what they do Mm -hmm. if you if you just wait longer and see what they do you may find out that they weren't actually planning on chopping off their hands with a knife or they didn't have a silly idea they were just trying something and it didn't turn out terribly badly and you probably could have caught them anyways now, it, it, often we step in in ways that are about our fear instead of their growth. Right. So we're controlling them. And when we them. step back a little bit and sort of let them be a little more free, mm-hmm. we not only you know stop ourselves from having nine heart attacks a week by the time they're 12, but we also give them the freedom that they need to explore at their pace and to mature at their pace. Right. So without the sort of adult fears. One of my favorite subjects is um, kids used to go in the backyard, in the street, play, you know, hang out, free play. Um, now there's play dates. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. do play well, dates like, prom- We're going to do this now. No, no, don't put that there. Put that here. Right. Does that provoke anxiety in kids? Because that incite anxiety, I guess. I, I think it does because it's based on anxiety in the parents. They're not doing it right. They aren't going to get into Harvard. Like Your two-and-a-half-year-old is not going to get into Harvard. Like, mm-hmm. relax. It's not going to happen. They don't actually let three-year-olds in. Right. Just exactly. relax. It's okay. <laughs> you haven't been to my It'll neighborhood. It'll probably be fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're all Harvard. They're all heading for Harvard. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think you make a great point about um, anxiety is contagious and we can get nervous. We do want the best for our children and we can certainly can get nervous and we can um, uh, actually do more harm than good sometimes. So what is the best way for uh, parents who want to be good parents or who want to be great parents uh, to get in touch with you? 
I'm I'm available all over the place. I'm on Facebook. Um, just my name, Linda Clement. I I'm wearing something yellow. I think. Um, I'm on Twitter, That Woman Canada. Um, I'm on Instagram at Thrive Parenting. Um, there's a Thrive Parenting Attachment Parenting and Respecting Kids Facebook group that's open to the public, as well as my email address, which is Linda Clement RaisingParents.net. Excellent. And your website, RaisingParents.net. Linda, fascinating segment. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Entirely my pleasure. Definitely get you back because this is a lifelong issue. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.